0: Hello and welcome back to the Bunker Daily. I'm Marie LeConte. Much as it pains me to admit it as someone with Grinch-like tendencies, Christmas is now upon us. Presents are being bought, train tickets are tentatively being booked, and everyone is looking forward to spending their break eating themselves into oblivion. Still, inasmuch as much as we love them, our families can often be a bit tricky at Christmas. From the Boris-loving uncle to the Corbyn Easter cousin, arguments about politics have been known to ruin the festive mood. How should we go about interacting with the relatives we don't always agree with? Should we stick to the spies and avoid political chats altogether? With me today to discuss this thorny and serious topic are journalist and historian Seth Tevot and independent sketch writer Tom Peck. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Um, so, what are your plans for Christmas? Seth, if you want to start.
1: Well, I'm getting as far away from my family as possible, so I'm going to join some friends in Spain, Um, and I'm actually heading out there a little bit early to avoid strikes and various other things, mainly because I I worked out that it's actually cheaper to travel around Spain than it is to heat a flat in London. Um, (laughs) No, no, you jest, but I've actually made the calculation. So um, I'm off to uh, get pissed in Jerez on as much sherry as I can get my hands on.
0: I am... Unbelievably jealous that Jenny. Words cannot accurately describe how jealous I am. Tom, what about you?
1: Oh, for goodness' sake! I mean,
2: is it too late for me to book a flight? I, I, I must tell you, I am not going to be getting pissed on sherry in Spain. Much to my eternal disappointment, um, it's a proper buffet this year, in a sense. So, Christmas Day itself is going to be me and the family, and my brother and his family's house with fully four sets of in-laws, the whole lot. Um, so that Jesus. will be. That will be quite tasty. Well, it will be tasty because <laughs> his wife's a brilliant cook, but it will be tasty in many ways.
0: Well, actually, kind of on that note, Tom, so do your relatives come to you for Westminster Chats, given your job? Like, are you the person they go to when they want to chat politics? Yeah, they do,
2: but not just my relatives, everyone. And I, I really, really struggle with it in a way because everybody talks to me about politics. And if we're completely honest, talking to people about politics can sometimes be quite boring. And I don't think of myself as a boring person. People may disagree, but I don't think of myself as a boring person. But so many times people like, make small talk with me by like asking me about Brexit. And then I will reply and I can see their eyes glazing over and I can see them looking over my head for how to get away. And I'm always like, well, you started it, not me. I was just going to ask if you had a holiday booked or whatever. And that's the (laughs) bit that I really struggle with. Yeah.
0: Mm. Oh, no, no. I I get exactly the same. I think whenever my grandmother calls me, it's always, how are you? How's work? How is the prime minister? I I don't think we need to do this every single time, but yeah. Here we are. Uh, Seth, given your background, do you feel the need in this kind of conversation to go, actually, from a historical perspective, I think you'll find that
1: all the time, and <laughs> not just for this. Um, but no, I, I mean, I find exactly the same thing as, as both of you, just working in the area I work in. Um, I spend a lot of time in old people's homes, interviewing non and centenarians and you know, people with interesting sort of political memories. And um, I find we, we spend a lot of time exchanging gossip because um, they're not out and about doing things anymore, but they're desperate to know what's going on in Westminster. And so they'll say, we'll tell you, no holds barred, exactly what we were doing in the 50s and 60s, provided <laughs> you can give us the goss as to what's going on now. Um, and it's a fair trade. It's great fun.
0: Mm, I know, that's quite fun. So, set, so. do you have any rules on political chats at Christmas? Because I know, so my parents are divorced, and I know on my mum's side, uh, who's Moroccan, I just cannot bring up the Western Sahara because I will get to lecture for two hours. And on my dad's <laughs> side, so my dad is France's only remaining Emmanuel Macron fan. Um, so I just can't really talk about Macron because he will just again launch himself into a. He is very misunderstood, and actually he needs to be given the time to change France and shape it in his image. And it's absolutely tedious. So, like, do, do you have similar topics, both of you, on kind of you know stuff you do not bring up with your family? So, um, Seth, if you want to go first.
1: Yes, everything.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, the thing is, you have to realize that I, I am Swiss, and. Um, uh, Switzerland is well known for being neutral in many things including in world War II and uh, this of course like everything about Switzerland is a giant fiction so uh, my relatives are very evenly split uh there there are the fascists and there are the communists and it makes um Christmas
0: <laughs> here I am stuck in the middle with you
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yep, that's exactly only liberal in the family sort of with uh, with these sort of raging howling arguments which have been going on for several decades I mean they're not going to slow down
0: so are you as a result the family disappointment <laughs> no both sides going for forgot
1: Sake. yeah I'm the weirdo who went off and immigration to the UK <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: god Tom do you have anything that's off limits yeah, in terms I of mean, your kind of Christmas political chats well I, I
2: don't want to name names because my, my family are all pretty private but there's there one person in my family who is a proper Tory and for a long time we have argued about politics for, for decades and decades and decades but arguably the great thing about the shit that we've all lived through for as long as anyone can remember now is that because the toys have now become so disgraceful and Brexit is so damaging, there's been much less arguing about politics because even this person in my family who, who sort of used to worship them, I think voted green in 2019, just as, as sort of out of spite. So really, the be- we, whilst we tried to avoid talking about politics because it would always, always turn into an argument, these days we kind of get on about everything because the t- the, the Tories have done us a big favour in the sense because we don't have politics to argue about anymore because they are just so bad.
0: No, that's fair. And I guess like flipping this on its head, is there any topic that should not be brought up with you, like if you're around? Because I knew that, and hopefully it's calmed down now. But I was probably <laughs> the family ball if anyone talked about Boris Johnson at any point because uh, he'd get mentioned. I'd go, oh, it's going like, to take a deep breath and then just rant for half an hour solid without breathing again. Um, is there anything, so actually, Tom, like? Is there a topic you know you'll just be tedious about?
2: I suppose, I suppose what happens if pe- is if people bring up politics when they don't really want to talk about it, but they're just bringing it up because it's the sort of thing that they make small talk with me about, you might find that 20 minutes later I'm still talking about the intricacies of Partygate or something when they really didn't care to begin with.
1: They were just sort of asking for the sake of it.
0: And um, Seth, is there anything you feel incredibly strongly about that should never be brought up in your presence?
1: Yeah, I mean, like you, um, whenever the most evil politician in the universe is named, I am the definition of the bore of someone who cannot change their mind and will not change the subject. Um, but obviously, th- this would be former Foreign Secretary David Owen, um, <laughs> who is the most evil person on earth, um, and uh, I'm. <laughs>
0: If you'd given me a 100 guesses, I would not have landed on David Owen.
1: I remember the first time I ever watched... Um uh, Return of the Jedi, and Darth Vader's mask comes off, and I expected Lord Owen's face <laughs> to be underneath it.
0: I, I very sincerely think, I mean, obviously it's not up to me to do the commissioning, but I would do an entire bunker just with you to talk about David Owen. A lot
1: of stories.
0: What, what, a, what a weird, unexpected answer. I can not even remember what I was going to ask next. Um, oh, fine, uh, Tom, <laughs> what was what, the worst argument you've ever got into at Christmas, and was it about David Owen? Uh,
2: I can say, well... Strangely, I actually, I actually did get into an enormous argument over Christmas about David Owen once, but it was, it was, it was my old flatmate David. He's Owen. Such a
1: divisive figure. <laughs> no, it, it, was, it
2: was, it was my old flatmate David Owen who I, who I actually think listens to this. Sorry,
1: David.
2: <laughs> but anyway, um, all, all this is very family focused, right? Um, and I, if I'm going to have an argument at Christmas, it's far more likely to be with friends than with family. I mean, I'm, I'm still mates with all my old schoolmates and. Some of them in the last 20 years have gone down very different pathways to me. I mean, I have a pretty close friend who I once clocked on the ITV news, standing outside the Old Bailey, chanting about Tommy Robinson. I have, oh. I have, I have friends who like really do believe that Fauci should go to prison. And I've been on about eight stag dudes with a guy who regularly uses the word "pandemic" on his Instagram. Um, I mean, I, I always find these guys a bit of a challenge, right? And I, and I
0: try... Are and... any of them single? Yeah, well
2: uh they're not single actually
0: i i I like
2: i always try and talk them around with reason right and try and make them see the other side Mm. because i can usually try and get them to see things from the from another perspective but i think it was our our lad's christmas meal in 2019 where i just called one of them a fucking halfwit and got in my uber and i'm not convinced (laughs) that i've actually spoken to him since and i think that was in 2019
0: that's impressive work. Um, so I guess the, the, the kind of last thing on this topic. So, like, is there something you hope really does not come up this year, even with your friend Seth in Spain? So I'm still seething at that because I know that. So I can tell that the Harry and Meghan documentary will come up at some point and I will be asked for my opinions on this and I just really don't want to I just really really do not want to talk about <laughs> Harry and Meghan at all whatsoever so like Seth is there anything I mean
1: I, I hate football so any conversation on that is is easily avoided um, what I'm really trying to get away from I suppose are the kinds David of David Owen well that too <laughs> clearly but no they're, they're the kind of arguments that you would have um, at Christmas with your family. I mean, the uh, the old saying goes that you should never talk about religion or politics, and uh, my family only talks about religion or politics. Um, I mean, by way of an example, my, my late grandmother, um, between uh, being a, an avid Nazi with a shrine to Hitler in her basement, um, was also a very keen and very devout Catholic. And um, the, the thing about um, Nazi Granny Tevel was that she um, used to go on these strange rants where she was very, very obedient and very, very keen on deference and social order, but she wasn't actually that hot on the um, whole area of theology itself. So I once got into this huge argument with her over um, her belief that the late Pope John Paul II should be sanctified because of all the work that he did in the developing world to enable and encourage the spread of contraception. And it took about an hour and a half of arguing to finally bring her around to know he actually argued the exact opposite of this, at which point she flips her argument and becomes just as equally strong in her views that he really should be sanctified because all the great he work, work he did to limit contraception, the scourge of this <laughs> stuff across the world. And there's, there's no way of winning this sort of argument. So, you know, is it any wonder you leave the country as I'm doing
0: I, yeah, I've got nothing to say to that, really, uh, <laughs> apart from actually, could I spend Christmas at your family if you're not going? Because I feel like that actually sounds quite fun. Um, Tom, is there anything you hope really doesn't come up apart from um, the pandemic or fountain? I mean, I would
2: have been with you on Harry and Meghan, but um, I've avo- avoided knowing anything about Harry and Meghan for the past however many years it's been. I think I muted the word Meghan on Twitter in the week of their wedding in 2018, and it's still there. So I actually really have honestly read nothing on the subject for years. But I was made to watch the first three hours of the documentary. And whilst this is quite tedious, I've upgraded like the, um, the, like, the, the sound system in my home. So like mm-hmm. it was brilliant because I could just put it on for three hours and fanny around with these new speakers. Um, and that means I did actually because I had to watch it. So having now watched it, having, having been, been living in the Harry and Meghan desert for so long, I'm now drowning in new fresh thoughts that I imagine people have been having for years and I just haven't read them. So I'm very happy if Harry and Meghan comes up. Um, But is is there any subject that I would like to avoid? The thing is, I I know this is boring, but me and my family don't... I'm the most political person in my family by miles. Um, The rest rest of us, everybody else is pretty normal. So they probably just try and avoid (laughs) me, to be honest with you.
0: It's like, like Looking more broadly and trying to help our listeners, I thought I'd ask you a couple of questions um, on how to deal with some annoying relatives that people may have. Um, so, Th- Seth, to start with so how how <coughs> would you deal with a teenager who's just discovered socialism or libertarianism and thinks they have all the answers
1: to everything? Um, I, I think <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with encouraging um, a, a bit of uh, exploration of... Their own ideas and their shortcomings. So, I would encourage them to look at that in practice. Um, take up an internship or volunteer for someone working in that campaign uh, 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 around that ideology, because there's no better way to get disillusioned with a politician than to work in close quarters with one 90% of the time. Yeah,
0: that's very true. Um, Tom, so how would you deal with someone who still identifies as a Brexiteer and now rails against the woke?
1: Well, I
2: mean, I know dozens and dozens of people like that. I would say almost everybody I know is like that. Um, and I always tend to fall back on the same opening gambit on that stuff when I have done for years, which is that if, you've, if you're very lucky in life, things becoming a bit fairer, feels like you're being oppressed, doesn't it? But you're really not being oppressed. I know it's an old argument, but it is a classic. Um, recently, I found myself saying to a mate of mine, look, the value of your house is probably going to drop by 10% next year. And I know that you're very upset about it, but it has also more than doubled in the last 10. So you've sort of done okay, really. And If you think there are too many minority people or too many disabled people in various BBC dramas that you like, then you just have to try and understand that it's because people are trying to make things a little bit fairer. In the meantime, you're still white, you're still middle class, you're still going to be okay just about.
0: No, oh, that's very true. Um, so, Seth, what should one do about the guilt-tripping virtue signaller who talks about their work for charity and their veganism and their refusal to take planes and what have you? Like, What, what, what do you do with someone well, like again,
1: that? Well, there's, again, there's nothing wrong with a bit of earnestness, and it can be fun to try and persuade people, I think, healthy to persuade them to... You know, actually do some volunteering, uh, for example, in a developing country where they may realise the limitations of their talents and their abilities <laughs> and say, you know, just being very earnest and wanting to help make the world a better place doesn't mean that you're actually effective in all of these things. Um, the other thing, however, is you can have a bit of fun um, pulling their chain by saying, you know, you're you're not really um, committed enough in the grand scheme of things. You know, you haven't given more than 250 days a year to charitable work. Uh, what kind of a virtue <laughs> signaller are you? Um, um, and have a bit of fun there if you feel so inclined.
0: I really enjoy that your answer to most of these questions is give very passive aggressive career advice, yeah. <laughs> which is niche. But, you know, if it, if it works, it works. Tom, is there anything a person can do against the relative who always tries to turn everything into an argument?
2: Well, the only solution there is not to drink. It's easy to avoid an argument when you're sober. But by the third glass of wine, like there's no doubt is there, that you are you are going to be going in, aren't you? But the, the problem that worries me is that I think that that person in my family possibly is me. And it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not it's it's not not because I'm argue, argumentative. I really don't think I'm argumentative. But it's happened to me so many times. I'll be with people who say, all of my family more or less, especially one half of it, who just say the Tories are terrible, Boris Johnson's a scumbag and so on. And, and I don't want to shock anyone, but that's kind of my view as well. But But sometimes I think they've genuinely... Think they could have gone a bit too far, and like, and so for example, sometimes I'll find myself saying to my family, "Well, actually, some of the stuff that the Conservatives did in the pandemic, they did quite well on. Some of the things they got, they they got right." And then I'm, then they, and then I get told, "Oh, well, you love the Tories, then do you? Oh, right, oh, fine. Well, you've kept that quiet. You don't write that in your columns, do you?" <laughs> and then you sort of think, "Well, am I am I the one being contrarian here? And am, am I the one trying to start an argument, or is it?" And then and then they get even more annoyed because they're all very, very, very intelligent but on the subject of politics i probably just have more knowledge than them because it is my job and then that puts their gander up because they can feel that they're losing the argument and they don't ever want to lose an argument to me so i so i worry that actually the row starter is me even though i even though i'm not one so perhaps the answer to your question is just to stay away from me at christmas which frankly is <laughs> fine by me as well
1: Well, at the risk of starting an argument, I have to disagree with you on the point about uh, avoiding um, drunkenness as a way of avoiding arguments. Again, David Owen is someone who can start arguments stone-cold sober.
0: (laughs) It's actually, and yeah, no, I'm quite jealous. So I think French Christmases are a lot less boozy than British ones, um, and and I think that that's something I'd not really realised until I moved here. But also, I think is going back home for Christmas every year and still being on Twitter, spending my day on Twitter because obviously I'm just at home and there's nothing to do, and so, you know seeing people having their first mimosa at nine, yeah, probably eight nine a.m. for Scottish friends, and maybe you know ten or eleven for English friends. Um, you know, I mean, one in France that like, we will have a glass of fizz at seven uh, before dinner. Then we will have dinner and probably split, you know, a bottle of wine for three or four people. And then that's it. Maybe, maybe you have one last drink after dinner, but that's literally it. And it, it is very, it is generally a very weird and unique experience to watch my entire Twitter timeline get steadily drunker and drunker. Um, <laughs> while I'm just like, I uh, just had coffee because uh, it's 3pm.
1: <laughs> but isn't that... French versus British drinking habits writ large in that France has a far healthier drinking culture of a moderate amounts at various points of the day. But I, th- I think compared to the binge drinking culture we have in the UK where we are stone cold sober six days of the week and we stack it all away in one day of the week. But Christmas is like that times ten.
0: <laughs> it is. And nice, I slightly worry that if I end up meeting someone and kind of uh, having to do a British Christmas, I will just die. Like, I will either die or sort of like, you know, get naked and start crying at 1pm because I just cannot handle that level of constant
1: drinking. Um, I mean, that happens a fair bit in Parliament. Um,
2: I'm trying to think like
1: the glory days
2: for the, for the Peck family Christmas was maybe like 20 years ago. I've got one brother and I've got two cousins and we're all more or less the same age. And that was in the years when we were like in our early 20s and we were all students. And then we would come back and get together at christmas and somebody else would have discovered some other ridiculous drinking game I mean, there, was, there was one year when the four of us just retreated into the back room on christmas day and played that you know that hour of power thing where you have to do a shot every minute for an hour and then oh, we, we all... call
0: that centurion <laughs> from...
2: but, <laughs> and yeah. then, we, then we all rolled back into the living room where my mama and my um, auntie and uncle were like making polite chat having just had us abandon them for an hour and then None of us were awake for. We 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 we, we timed the hour of power to make sure we were back in the living room for the Only Fools and the Horses Christmas
1: special, and
2: then nobody was awake for tw- within twenty minutes of it.
1: But to do the historian stick and just look at <laughs> actually how modern our ideas of Christmas. I mean, it's a totally invented tradition, really, from the Victorian age in, in its modern form. Um, you know, the, the Puritans actually banned it. Do Cromwell's time Um, and it very much is something that was popularised in the wake of Prince Albert by Charles Dickens Charles Dickens interestingly enough through the same um, long short story in A Christmas Carol not only is the creator of the modern idea of Christmas he's also the founder of of science fiction arguably because it's the first time travel story
0: oh that is a very fun fact so if you you want to do a
1: thoroughly Christmassy thing cosplay in a sci-fi environment (laughs)
0: that's all I've ever wanted um, so I guess to, to, to end this on a kind of like final positive note like what is actually the thing you usually end up enjoying the most about the Christmas break well, I was going to say Christmas break with your family but obviously some of us have managed to escape um, so yeah so actually like is this your first time kind of escaping uh, no. somewhere else for Christmas or no in that case what is your favourite bit of yeah I, I can't believe I'm asking this as a question what is your favourite bit of going to a sunnier country with your friends to get drunk while everyone is having a bit of a boring time
1: Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you, you <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Nothing else it to me. it,
0: is there? Yeah. Fine. Well, Tom, what do you like about staying in England and seeing your family uh, for Christmas?
2: Well, in, well, my family were older than they used to be, and I know I was just talking about this. But in the old days, Christmas used to be really properly glorious. Like I used to absolutely love it. I mean, I remember when you know, when me and my brother and my cousins were all in our twenties, it was a proper proper riot. And so I don't think it's ever got better <laughs> since then.
0: My thing is so much milder compared to that because I, um, cause, yeah, my parents are divorced and my mum's rocking so doesn't really care about Christmas um, and there is one year a few years ago where I think we were finally sort of like all adults and she was like actually do you guys really care about doing a traditional Christmas in any way and my brother and I were like absolutely not. Um, so yeah we just made a lasagna and got tanked on champagne the three of us and actually I was <laughs> like this is really fun this is all I want from Christmas um, and with that I think we're done. Thank you so much to you both and Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Merry Christmas.
0: And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. This is Marie LeConte. Thanks for joining me in The Bunker. The Bunker
1: was presented by Marie LeConte with Seth Tebow and Tom Peck.
2: Audio productions from me, Robin Leeburn, the producers Alex Reese and Jack Gerbertson. The assistant production by Kasia Tomashevich. The producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor Andrew Harrison, and theme tunes by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.